Hey there. Welcome to This is Sober. I'm Molly Desch, sober coach and host of This is Sober podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking about my relationship with alcohol, my journey through sobriety, and what I'm up to today. I want to start by talking about my childhood. I feel like a lot of us uh, that are going through heavy spells of drinking have something from our past that we're essentially trying to mask by drinking. Um, I grew up in a split. Well, it was my parents were divorced when I my parents got divorced when I was eight. And so I spent most of my time with my mom and then every other weekend with my dad. Uh, prior to their divorce, there wasn't a whole lot of emotion showing in our house. Um, I feel like anger was acceptable to show. Um, so if me or my brother did something wrong or, you know, we're fighting, I feel like anger was, it was cool. It was acceptable to show that we were in trouble or we were irritating our parents. Um, I don't feel like sadness was something that we expressed much. Um, frustration, uh, depression wasn't really something that was ever really talked about. Um, after my parents got divorced, I had a really hard time dealing with their divorce. Uh, both of my parents got into relationships literally immediately after they got divorced. Um, so I was learning to live with a stepdad. And then when I would go to my dad's, um, spending time with with his new wife as well. And both of my step-parents had their own children. I had a stepbrother and two stepsisters. Um, so it's just like a lot for a nine-year-old to handle. Um, your parents splitting and then having essentially two whole new families come into your life overnight. Um, later on, you know, a few years after that, I was sent to a therapist. Um, I remember this woman that I was working with and she was so cool. Like she let me smoke in her office. So I was I smoked cigarettes and we would just kind of like sit around and I would talk about, you know, how I felt, um, growing up, I wasn't heard or understood, um, and I felt like I really connected with her. I felt like I was able to be myself. Um, she put me on some antidepressants and I started taking those and continue to take those for um, well into uh, my 40s. So that's another topic we can talk about another time um, being medicated. But I quickly found in high school that alcohol was a great way for me to connect with other people. I was kind of shy. Um, I didn't know who I was or 
what I stood for. Um, I grew up in a Christian home and going to church was kind of a must every Sunday. Um, so I didn't really feel like I had the opportunity to figure out what I believed and what I stood for. Um, so I used alcohol as a way to create my own identity, create a new identity. Um, so there was a lot of partying, um, drugs and drinking on the weekends. And I, I quickly realized that alcohol was a great way for me to, you know, hide or cover up all of those negative emotions that I was feeling. Um, not just earlier from my childhood, but the feelings like, you know, I don't feel like I fit in or do these people actually like me? Um, you know, silly things that you think about in high school, like, you know, my parents didn't have a ton of money. So am I wearing the cool clothes that people will accept me? Um, so I feel like I definitely used alcohol to um, feel more confident in social settings. And it gave me the ability to talk to people that normally intimidated me, you know, walking the halls of high school. Um, I didn't feel like I could just go up to some people and just start a conversation. So when I saw them out at a party and I had been drinking, it was so much easier to talk to them and feel like I was creating a circle, creating friends. Um, and obviously looking back, I realized, you know, that was not the case. We were all just kind of barely getting by in our lives and, um, partying to cover up any sort of lack that we were feeling in our lives. Fast forward a few years, um, you know, I feel like the drinking never really stopped. Um, I've, I've had two children and throughout both of my pregnancies, you know, I didn't drink because I mean, oh my God, I was growing a human inside me. How could I possibly you know, be so selfish and, um, drink while I was pregnant. So there were two fairly long periods of my life, nine, 10 months in which I wasn't drinking, but I quickly realized that, you know, alcohol was, alcohol was like my best friend. It was my go-to. It was always there for me. And it did exactly what I needed it to do. I needed it to stop feeling the insecurities and stop feeling the less than that I felt I was. And I would spend a very good amount of time and energy into achieving that numbness. There were times on my way home from work that I would stop and get like a six or 12 pack of beer and drink one or two of those on the way home. Um, I was married to a man who was also a daily drinker. So there was, there was no accountability. There was nobody to compare myself to that. I felt, um, you know, was living a healthier lifestyle, if you will. So it was very normal. It was very much normalized in my home. Um, 
the people I would hang around with. So, you know, like my coworkers, they were just as much a part of the drinking community as I was. Um, so it felt normal. It felt fine. I wasn't particularly enjoying my marriage. <laughs> um, we didn't argue. We didn't really fight. We didn't really, we didn't really talk about anything really. Life just kind of happened to us. Um, if I wanted to get a new job, it was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And then it just happened or, you know, let's move to another city. And it just happened. I don't really remember having, you know, really deep thought out conversations of, you know, how these decisions me and him are making are going to impact our lives later and our children. So literally life just kind of happened to me. I was in this predominantly consecutive state of numbness. There were many weekends where I didn't really have anything on my plate. I didn't have anything going on. Maybe um, one of the boys did not have a soccer game or activity going on that day. So it was like immediately boredom was setting in. And what was I going to do? Um, and I would, I would start drinking. I would start drinking very early in the morning. Um, 10 o'clock was not a big deal for me. And I would just drink all day. And sometimes I would, you know, do chores around the house or, you know, mow the yard or, um, you know, whatever needed to be done, but it was always at home. And, um, then I would hit later in the afternoon. And of course it's, it's time for a nap. It's time for your, your drunk nap. So I would essentially just like pass out for a couple hours and you wake up and your, your face feels really hot. You have that nasty taste in your mouth and there's still boredom there. There's still like not really anything going on. Um, so you just get up and you keep going. That was my life for many years. My husband and I separated and I feel like that was kind of a trigger for me. Um, it was just me and my two boys here at my house. And even though my husband never kept me accountable or said, hey, maybe we're drinking too much or, you know, anything like that, I didn't feel like I was ever judged for the amount of alcohol I was drinking. Um, even with that in mind, after our divorce, I feel like it got worse. There would be uh, weekends here and there that my my kids weren't here. So they went to my ex-husband's house. So I would have the whole house to myself. And that was just, that was just a recipe for disaster. Um, playing my cards at online dating and meeting men that, you know, all they wanted to do was hook up and, you know, me being naive and not understanding the online dating culture, you know, I thought I was meeting men that wanted, wanted something more than that. And I quickly realized that, you know, I was, I was just making some, some bad choices. And, um, there was one weekend in particular 
probably started, you know, in the afternoon on a Friday. Um, I had been working from home and the working environment wasn't very stressful or like, I feel like the expectations weren't so great. So I could, I could totally just, you know, crack open that first beer on a one o'clock zoom, um, obviously holding it off to the side. So my coworkers wouldn't see, but, and then, you know, just logging off around two or three in the afternoon and just carrying through the weekend. Um, you wake up feeling like total shit and, uh, hair of the dog was my jam. So I would wake up and have that first cigarette and beer at seven or eight o'clock in the morning and just keep going. So this was a particular weekend in which that was happening. And come Sunday afternoon, I mean, you go almost 72 hours just nonstop drinking it it has such a negative psychological impact on you um i was in a very dark place that day i just felt like there was nothing for me there was there was nothing good that was going to come of all that was me and so i took i took my beers in my car and um I drove down to this secluded place not far from my house and sat under the overpass. I could hear semis and cars driving over the the overpass. And I was listening to music in my car. The windows were down. It was summer. It was hot out. And I was very depressed. Just felt like I was I was at the end of everything. And just literally ready to ready to end it. I didn't know how to make it stop. I didn't know how to quit. I didn't know how to feel better about myself. And as I'm sitting there under the overpass, my phone starts vibrating and I look over and it's my son, my oldest son. He was like 11 at the time. And I'm very emotional, very depressed, very just life is not even worth living at this point. And he's like, Hey mom, what are you doing? And I'm just, he can tell I'm crying. What, what's, what's going on? What are you doing? Where are you? Can you come home? Mom, mom, stop. Come home. You're, you're a good mom. I love you. Please come home. Please come home. Okay. Yep. So that's what I did. So I hung up the phone and started making the drive home and on that drive home I just remember something clicking like this is it this is the end of all that you know right now like all you've known is just numbing and drinking and not being there for your kids not being the best version of yourself not handling things like you're supposed to this is the end of that and so I got home and shortly after I got home, I called my mom. My mom doesn't live near me. She lives out of state. So I called and I just remember I have a drinking problem. I can't stop. I don't know how to quit. And I need your help. 
So she made a plan to come stay with me and she wasn't going to be her. She couldn't get a flight for like two days. So of course, over these next two days, like this is it. This, this is like my last days of imbibing. So I got to get it all out now. Have you ever seen the show called Intervention? And it's like that time in the show where the person who thinks they're in the documentary realizes that there's about to be an intervention. And so they want to go get high or drunk before because it's like their last hurrah, right? So that's kind of like how it was for me. This was my last hurrah. This was me in a very desperate attempt to say goodbye to alcohol forever and my mom showed up a couple days later and of course I was a disaster just a an emotional wreck and probably super hungover and just not coherent of you know like what is going on what does this actually look like what does this actually mean and we began talking about how are you going to do this how are you going to get sober and I thought about rehab but first of all, there was no way I was going to leave my kids for 30, 60, or 90 days. Just no way I could do that. Um, in outpatient rehab was also not an option. There was a place here uh, locally that I went to, and the women that were there were there because uh, the court system made them be there. So they weren't, you know, voluntarily submitting to outpatient rehab for drinking too much. So that also wasn't an option. So I went to AA. Like, I felt like those were your options, rehab or AA, or just try and figure it out yourself. And God knows there was no way I was going to be able to do that myself. So I, I went to AA and AA definitely put me on the right path. It was, it was like that event that was happening every day in my life that was holding me accountable. There wasn't anybody in particular at AA that was holding me accountable. I didn't ever get a sponsor, um, but simply showing up and adding one more day to my sobriety was getting me through. And I stayed with AA for a few months, maybe three or four months. Um, I had met another woman. She was a stay-at-home mom. So she was attending the meetings during the day that I was. And she got me turned on to some books. Um, I remember she sent me this picture of this like huge stack of Quitlet books that um, she had read and recommended to me. And so I immediately get online and I'm looking through the library and just adding all of these books to my cart. And, um, that was how I maintained sobriety for a whole year. Another big helper for me was about six months after I got sober, COVID happened. Um, so COVID forced me to stay home, which was a very good thing. Um, I wasn't going to the liquor store anywhere to buy alcohol. Um, I was getting all my groceries and stuff through Instacart, which was great. 
Um, and then at six months, I also met somebody, somebody that seemed very promising. Um, I'm actually still with him. He was somebody that was like, yeah, totally cool that you don't drink. Like, I think that's fine. That's not going to be a problem. And that was the first guy I met that was like down with not drinking. Um, so that definitely helped a lot being home and then having um, a partner that supported me through my sobriety. The fact that we use drinking to close the door behind all of those emotions is pretty common. Um, a lot of the women that I work with after they get sober, you know, they start feeling these emotions and once you've been numbing them for so long, you don't know what the fuck you're doing when they come up. It's like, I don't know how to handle this, this sadness, or I don't know how to handle this stress. I'm so frustrated. I wish things were differently. I don't know how to handle that. So that's definitely, um, that was definitely something that came up for me a lot as well. When those emotions came up for me, the first time I would feel something really intensely, I turned back to alcohol. And on three separate occasions, I didn't know how to healthily cope with alcohol. And I found myself kind of like right back where I was thinking that all was going to be well. Um, it was just a little hiccup and I could move on. The first couple times, you know, not learning my lesson, not asking the questions, like, what can I learn from this? Why did I do this? What happened? What healthy coping mechanisms should I look into and start, you know, working into my routine? So when these emotions come up again, I don't drink, you know, I wasn't doing any of that. Um, it was the the third time that I relapsed or had a setback or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the third time I drank during that second year was absolutely, it was like another light bulb went on, you know, like that first one that lit, that went on when my son called me, this was like my second light bulb moment. Okay, cool. You figured out how to get sober, but now we need to figure out how to maintain this sobriety thing because you like it feels good. The kids love you sober. So let's keep going. Let's figure out how we can maintain the sobriety. And so that's kind of where I've been at the last couple of years is maintaining my sobriety and coming to terms with the fact that this is a lifelong maintenance. I mean, it's like your car. You don't just buy it, fill it up with gas once, and then hope it lasts you for years. I mean, you've got to, you've got to keep taking it in and keep checking up on things. And sometimes you've got to change the tires and sometimes your windshield wipers need replaced. You know, there's different things that work throughout different stages of your sobriety. So what works early on in your sobriety may not get you through it later on. But I just want to say that I'm extremely grateful for my son for that very first light bulb moment that I had. Don't think I would be here today if that wouldn't have happened. And I'm extremely grateful for the second light bulb moment because it has kept me here and it has helped me grow and appreciate life for all that it is. I know that it can do the same for you.
You can't force the light bulb moment though. They tend to show up at unexpected moments. But I feel like if you're asking the right questions, if you're maintaining this curiosity and really listening to how you're feeling, like really sit and listen to it. Like what's really going on? Then I think you can get through it. I think you can understand where the emotions are coming from and develop healthy habits and tools to get you through it. So wherever you are on your journey, I'm so glad you're here. I hope to hear from you and um, maybe maybe someday hear your story, um, your sobriety journey and what led you there and how you're doing now.